listeners, welcome to the next session. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. And um, you're joining us for an advice podcast for game masters seeking help with their next game session. Yeah, and things going on right now are uh, PAX Online. Yeah, it's actually pretty wild. Nine days and it's 24 hours each day. I definitely feel the disconnect. I mean, I you know, I like to go to PAX. I like to see people, all that jazz. Um, and I'm not the best with technology i'm i'm good with some technology but i'm not good with a lot of it and having to navigate discord and twitch is its own thing i don't understand twitch very well is it's hard so i'm i'm feeling a little a little disconnected it's not it's just not quite the same you know i'm used to the pax experience and i go to a lot of paxes and... well and you usually have a table yeah and i work at a lot of paxes and and it's this is just this is very different. Um, it's not bad. I I think it's really amazing that they've managed to pull together so many people and do an online experience with it. But it is definitely different than than what I'm used to. I guess. Yeah, I used to work it as an enforcer, and I was really trying to figure out if I could enforce again this year. Um, but now, no. I mean, I guess you could have been a moderator for the yeah, Discord but channel. technology challenged, right? Like, I wouldn't know how to moderate. Mm-hmm. I can't even moderate my own life. <laughs> yeah, that's not working. But some of my favorite memories of PAX were when we would go see the Acquisitions Incorporated game, and we would—that was like the one thing we would like wait in line for. Yeah, I remember when they first started doing them, and we we came to the very first show and. Yeah. How, how amazing that experience We happened was. to be like, oh, I don't know what this is, but let's let's go sit in the line for it. It was in one room. It maybe held 200 people at the most. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got good spots right up near the front. Yeah. And they were just at a table. There was no video cameras. You couldn't see, you know, you couldn't see their roles. You, it was just them at a table on a, on a small little platform and us kind of cheering them on. It was pretty amazing. Um, and that, it's interesting to me how it's both that has taken off, but also like uh, live streams of D and D and and um, you know how actual play stuff has really taken off. I think that's the, we've we've stepped into a different era of of D and D than yeah. we used to be. No longer are uh, Dungeons and Dragons players down in the basement in the shadows. They are they're on a stage. They're on your phone, yeah. and you can watch them at any time. Um, one of the ones that I have been checking out recently, actually, I think is Phoenix Forge, mm. um, is one of the, one of the Twitch ones. And then of course, oh, so an actual play one. That yeah. And then yeah. of course I watch uh, clinical role, which you're on. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting and it's, it's a different kind of play. I think I play very differently when I'm playing in a live game or a live stream than I do when I'm playing like with my friends at well a, yeah because when you're playing live you feel like you're on all the time you you are you're being viewed you're being watched it's by people you don't know i'm presenting right yeah it's, it's a presentation i'm putting out for people or an entertainment that i'm putting out for people um and i think that has a very different feel or the psychology in Se- seattle podcast that i do mm-hmm. um all that's a very different experience but that's than- not live no one's not live, but it is recorded and put out into a, into an audience of people. And I think that's even even that is a different experience. I think that's that's very different. 
Well, that being said, should we should we do some next session help? Yes. So, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So both of these questions come from an awesome guy uh, named Andy, and I want to shout out his podcast. So he does a podcast called 90s Court with um, our friend Lisa, who's his co-host, and they pit two things together from the 90s, and then they um, talk about it. They each take a side and talk about it, and then they they send it to a poll, and they talk about the poll at the next one. Um it is a huge hit of nostalgia for my week. I, oh man, I do it, love I do love the, the, yeah, <laughs> the they just movies did, and shows and music that they, they bring in. And... Yeah. They just did um Casper the Ghost movie versus um Richie Rich. Oh yeah. Which was fun. And I'm rooting for Casper because I like that movie a lot. Really? But Richie Rich had all those that oh man. Right, exactly. <laughs> we're gonna turn into the nineties. I know. <laughs> 90s no, we're not. Andy, we're not stealing your stuff. Um but Andy submitted some questions, so I'm really excited. So both of the next two questions are from our friend Andy and um and let's let's do it. So yeah. he says Okay, so making fun stories, improvising, all that good stuff, I feel pretty confident in my abilities there. But when it comes to scaling battles, I'm always terrible. It is almost always too easy, but I'm so worried I'll end up wiping the party if I make it too hard. How do you design your battles? I've heard of CR-based ones and action economy-based ones, but frankly, my battles are always underwhelming. Help. Okay, so this is actually a question that, that comes up a lot as I'm trying to train new facilitators at Game to Grow, uh, but it's something that I've spent a long time as a game master really trying to perfect and, and trying to understand. In my mind, a battle in Dungeons and Dragons should, should be like a it should be like a movie scene. It should be like the scene in Lord of the Rings where they're fighting off the orcs and the cave troll comes in, and now they're fighting off a cave troll at the same time. They're fighting off all these. Uh, all these orcs that have that have come in, or goblins, I can't remember what it, what it was in that scene. Um, but that kind of combat, where it's action-packed, it's kind of hopping back and forth between these different scenes of, like, Boromir, you know, blocking an attack and coming in with his sword, and then Legolas, like, shooting an arrow and, and taking down an orc that way. And that's how I imagine combat scenes to generally be playing out. In order for that to be the case, you are trying to balance the numbers of the game to help you accomplish that. So the goal, keeping in mind that the goal is to get to movie action scene, then the numbers and the thing, the abilities that characters can do and the armor class and hit points and attack rolls and all of that are just things to help you get to that goal. And that's always how I want to picture them. So that being said, there are some tricks that you can do with the numbers. Some of this is just in understanding statistics and dice rolls, which is really helpful as a game master if you're starting to get into like the nitty gritty, and especially if you have players that are that are getting into the nitty gritty of different attack rolls and maximizing their character and stuff like that. Some oh of this gosh. can be really helpful. You're going to make me do math. I almost flunked statistics. Uh, not, not a lot of math. I'm um, so bad. It was like... You have a drawer, and they're full of balls, and one of them is yellow. What's the likelihood of getting a yellow? And then you put the ball back in. What's the likelihood of getting the yellow now? And I'm like, I don't care. I just open the drawer and look. <laughs> I, just, I just figure I out just where the yellow one is. I pull out balls until I get the yellow This is why casinos <laughs> love me, because I always end up going to the, the table that is the um, worst one for me yeah. to win. <laughs> is that the slot machines? That's the table you go to. 
I like the fish one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, keep going. Um, so the important part about statistics here, especially in a game like Dungeons and Dragons, is understanding how high somebody needs to get to do damage and how much damage they can do on their turn. So when you look at your characters at your table, let's imagine as a game master you hold on to all your players' character sheets, which is sometimes really good advice for game masters in general. And you're trying to plan out your next fight. So what I would do is I would look at all of the attack rolls of all of my players and figure out what the general attack roll bonus is that they're going to apply to their rolls. And then add 10, and that's the armor class that I want to give to my monsters. Okay, so let, let me just... Mm-hmm. Let me walk through that in my own mind so I understand. So I have a level whatever fighter, and they have a plus two to hit. Mm-hmm. So then I would make my guy a 22? A 12. A 12. A two plus 10, ah. so 12. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but that basically means that uh, your player will hit about half the time. So if they roll a 10 or better, they will hit. And if they roll less than a 10, then they will miss. Okay. Um, and that's sort of your goal, right? Now, some of your players might have an attack roll of plus four. So they're going to hit a little bit more often. They're going to hit anytime they roll an eight or better. You want to take the average of all of them. Right. Or, you know, you want to decide who, who it is that you want to be hitting more often. The mean. <laughs> See, I remember math. The go. mean of it. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is that hitting is always more interesting than not hitting. Um, And this is the case when it comes to saving throws, spells that don't do anything on a miss are really boring when they miss. Um, And having uh, monsters that have a really high armor class is really boring when the players never hit them. When you go a whole round and only one player hit the the monster, it makes... It makes it much more difficult to make the combat exciting and interesting. And there are ways to mitigate that. You can describe the misses much more eloquently. You can you can say you're you're hammering with your sword again and again. The monster keeps blocking and parrying and dodging to the side, and and you're you're trading blows back and forth. And so you can get into even though it was a miss, we can still describe action-packed yeah. combat. Or you could do the no but where like. You missed because you slipped, but it actually propelled you, and now you're sliding under its legs. Right. Uh, or you you um, slam your sword attack into its shield, and you crack its shield, and, and now its shield is, is broken and no longer useful. And maybe you lowered its armor class, even though it was a miss. Um, so there are lots of things that you can do for misses. But in general, hits are more interesting than misses. Um, so with that being said, I always want to do kind of a lower armor class and a higher hit point for all of my monsters. And then for the hit points, I do the same thing. I look at all the characters and I say, what is the general amount of damage everybody's going to do? And how long do I want this combat to go on for? Mm -hmm. Um, Keeping in mind that, you know, a single round of combat in a game like D&D can be 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Like that's one round of combat. Right. (laughs) So if we're only playing for an hour and a half, um, I probably only want two rounds of combat. And so that means I got to make those two rounds of combat really interesting. I got to really make sure to to uh, make, give everybody a chance to do something really amazing in just a couple of rounds of combat that way. And that means that if, if my players generally do, you know, 10 damage a, a turn for each of them, well, that means that if I have four players and they all are going to hit, they're going to do 40 damage in one round. So i got to make the monster's hit points somewhere around 60 to 80 so that I can make sure that they are um, doing good damage and combat lasts about two rounds. And that's basically, that's where the statistics part comes, comes in. Now, I don't 
actually do all of that work before right. every single combat. That would yeah, be, this is a do as I say, not as I do, right? Yeah, this is this is a good starting place. Um, if you're a game master who wants to use CRs, which I'll explain in a second, or if you are a game master who really wants to like have some numbers to, to have as guidance, this is a really good way to think about your numbers. And the same thing goes for if you're making making up monsters and you need to make up attack rolls for your monsters, you can look at the armor class of your players and say, how often should this monster hit? I want them to hit about half the time, so I take the armor class of the players and I subtract 10, and then I use that as the attack roll of my monster. So if they have an armor class of 15, then my monster has an attack roll of plus 5, essentially. Um, so this is just good good guidance for understanding the numbers behind the, the monsters and the numbers behind what's going on. However, I don't do any of this. Um, I tend to role-play my monsters as the story dictates. So my guidance is thinking about the end of the story more than it is thinking about the middle or the beginning of the story. So I don't want to plan my monsters as here's what they're going to have for their attack bonuses and armor class and hit points. I want to plan at the end of this battle, what do I want my players to have experienced? And in that case, what I want is I want this battle to last a certain amount of time, and I want the players to take a certain amount of damage maybe everybody's at half hit points um because i want it to be an epic battle i want them to feel like it was really epic and that it was a struggle and it was a challenge and so when i design my monster i don't put much in the way of of stats on paper as much as i do make sure that the monster doesn't die until two rounds of combat have happened right i i tend to do the same thing in that i don't care how many hit points a monster has i care how many hit points they have done to it so i will track the hits and the damage um but that's about it i might i might have a like on my sheet i have a little tally essentially to see how much you know 20 and then 30 and then Mm -hmm. all of that jazz um and then if there's gonna be a killer blow that's gonna happen i'm not gonna go oh that was an epic blow and um and then it still has 10 hit points it still has 10 hit points right <laughs> you know no i want to reward that epic blow wow that um, was really really good but uh <laughs> that being said it doesn't necessarily mean that that this is a railroaded fight yes um i still want to give the opportunity for the players to make really creative choices for the for things to go really poorly for the players if they right if they need to i mean and, if you did a, a critical miss in the middle of this battle you yep. might be losing something big. Yeah. Um, and I have absolutely, you know, knocked players unconscious when I wasn't necessarily intending to do so, maybe as a result of the rolls. And I'll still make attack rolls for the monster. I'll still make uh, damage rolls and things like that. And sometimes I'll change them and sometimes I won't. Um, but the the important part is I'm I'm still there and, and making making rolls and letting some of the randomness of the of the situation dictate the outcomes of, of what's happening. I'm just using very loose boundaries to help define what the monster is so that it can be best for the storyline as opposed to best for numbers that are happening. Right. Okay, so what is CR? Okay, so CR is challenge rating. This is the methodology that um, the creators of Dungeons & Dragons use to help give you guidance on how you can balance fights. The idea here is that a challenge rating one monster is designed for a group of level one, four level one players. In general. So if you have a challenge rating five monster, it is designed for a group of five, of four level five players. Okay. It's always four. Correct. Um, the 
the challenge ratings get really complicated when you start to mix and match. Um, so if you say, well, I want three monsters uh, for my four players, and now you can't do C three CR5s for your for your four level five players because that'll be way too hard. That would be, um, you know, a challenge for, it would be a, a very, very difficult challenge for those players. Uh, so there are actually a bunch of websites and stuff that can help you specifically design the challenge ratings for your monsters. And actually, I think D&D Beyond now has like a monster creator, like a, a combat encounter creator. Oh, cool. Um, that they that you can utilize if you're if you're paying for your D&D Beyond account or uh, I don't know if that's available on the free account. I used to go to a one that was like Don Donjon. Donjon, yeah. Uh, and Donjon's really good, yeah. And that was good, but I I would take it with a grain of salt because yes. it would be like um, all right, you want one level seven monster and fifty level point fives. And yeah. I'd be like, what? So it gives you a lot of options for what you can do. It'll say like, you can have one CR eight, uh, or you can have uh, one CR seven and fifty CR point fives, or you can have uh, one CR seven and one CR one. Um, so it gives you a whole lot of different options, which is great because if you want to design different fights. All the monsters in the monster manual all have challenge ratings to go along with them, so you can really kind of start to think about how you can mix and match or make the fight more interesting by having more more enemies. In general, um, I don't like having fights with only one enemy uh, right. because there's lots and lots of spells and abilities in the game that are like the the person is stunned and doesn't get any turn for <laughs> doesn't get a turn for three three rounds, and now your one enemy becomes a very, a very boring fight where your players are just just pounding and eliminating it. Yeah. Um, so like, even when I do boss fights, I usually try to have like uh, some minions or some. You you used to play a lot of WoW. I did play a lot of WoW. So yeah. does some of this come from from that? Yeah. Um. Honestly, you know, you think about video game fights, um, and uh, what sometimes we call fights two stage combats, and that is where um, you know, you're fighting the the enemy, and then you get them to a certain amount of health and then they go raw and then they change into their other right. form or oh whatever. Oh my gosh. Or like Kingdom Hearts where there's like five false endings to the fight. And yeah. You're like, come on. Um, and uh, uh, five is maybe a little much, but but ultimately like, like multi-stage combats are a great way to break up a fight. Um, because frankly, like when you start getting to the place where you're, you're fighting the same person and they're using the same abilities and you're about five rounds in, it's too long. Yeah, yeah like you, that's all, all, all the players will feel like, oh, we're we're still doing this, huh? We're still fighting this this character. We're fighting. Yeah, this where's person. the twist? Right. Um, and so having multi-stage combats allows you to have a longer fight with while still maintaining interest, while still keeping it engaging and interesting. Yeah. I also strongly encourage, just in general, um, that the environment should always play a role. Mm. Um, I'm also a little influenced by uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, which is a really fun. Uh, board game card game that I that I really enjoy where you fight it's a superhero game and you fight a bad guy but you also fight that bad guy in an environment yeah I think we talked about it a little on the last one maybe um the the environment really should be a role in your combat too you know maybe the bad guy starts breaking beams and the ceiling starts coming down uh, and now you're you're having to juggle fight fighting this bad guy while the ceiling of this building is co- uh, collapsing on top of you or something like that. Um, all of that stuff can be a really interesting play up of of what's happening in the in the sort of combat situation that you're in. Yeah, I especially like the idea of multi stage because if the fight is going too easy, uh, like you said here, if it's going too easy, you can always have um, the bugbear's mama come mm-hmm. right or the owl bear you know come help out his buddy and suddenly 
that the stakes got raised and they don't have to be a full-sized whatever monster like you know if they're all hurting it doesn't have to be um one that is ready and raring to go it could it could be one that already has half health yeah absolutely you can also think about um you know in the moment you can always adjust the health of a monster up or down uh you can you can you know if i even if i'm playing a monster from the book i can say well this one happens to have an extra 20 hit points on top of it because I wanted to give this the last player a chance to to really finish it off. Yeah, or that arrow, even though you hit it in the knee, um, that was actually a tender weak spot for mm-hmm. this monster, and um, it is now on the ground. You 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 toppled it to the ground. Um, and similarly, you can have you know a monster dish out a whole bunch of damage as it's dying. You 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 stab it through, and it stabs you too. Right, uh, it thrashes. It thrashes and and oh, hurts no. you a whole lot. As it's like a down. chicken with its head cut off. It keeps going. <laughs> yeah. Ew. Um. So there there are. I strongly encourage game masters to remember that that the play and the story are the more important parts than the stats. Um. And Sometimes you'll get some pushback from players that, that say like, well, that monster has, I looked it up and that monster has this much hit points. Oh, I hate that. I constantly tell my players, um, I will change all of the monsters. And if you try to tell me stats about a monster in the middle of a fight, I will make it harder for you. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> um, I will absolutely change it and make this fight much harder than it would have been otherwise. Well, hopefully that helps and keep your battles less underwhelming. Um, let's move on to the next question, which is, how do you go about providing fun and exciting yet balanced loot for parties, particularly magical items? I've gone to both extremes and it feels like when I give too much, you can't take the genie out of the box and the party gets overpowered. And while not enough, and it can get boring hitting things with your generic longsword you got at level one. Okay, so I'm, I'm all for creating really amazing, interesting, unique magic items that I think are really fun. Um, And I've created lots of them in the past, but there's some simple guidance that I can give for creating magical items or magical uh, loot for players that doesn't necessarily, that that you can pretty much guarantee is not going to break your game. And the most simple guidance I can give is pick a character class that you don't have in your game and pick some abilities or spells from that character class that they would have at this level and give those as items to your players. Okay, so if you don't have a bard in your group, mm-hmm. you might give a musical instrument that would be... That gives bardic inspiration to, oh. to somebody. Um, the great thing about doing something like this is that Dungeons & Dragons, 5th edition at least, is largely defined by action economy. Um, and so on your turn, you can only do so many things. You can uh, you know, do a main action, and you can do a movement, and you can do a bonus action. And so if I give you a piece of equipment that gives you a bonus action ability, that's pretty powerful, especially if you didn't otherwise have one. But if I give you a piece of equipment that gives you a bonus action ability and you already have a bunch of bonus action abilities, now you still have to kind of choose whether or not this piece of equipment is worth using in this particular situation or whether or not my other bonus action ability is more worth using. And the same thing is going to be true otherwise. I can give a, you know wand of fireball once per day that's pretty powerful um and it's pretty amazing if we don't have a wizard in the group that can cast fireball but i still have to choose to cast fireball instead of my main attacks on my turn Um, and fireball might still be more powerful but i can limit the number of uses per day or limit the number of uses um you know per short rest and that really 
helps create the same kinds of limits that a wizard would have had in in our campaign. Um, so ultimately, using sort of the action economy to your benefit gives you the opportunity that people can have like one-off abilities that are powerful but happen only once, or situationally powerful. I love picking the spells that are um, not always good, but sometimes really good. Stuff like underwater breathing, where like mm. it's not useful most of the time until right. you really need it, and then it's very, very useful. <laughs> right. Um, or um, there's a water walking spell where you can walk on top of water. That's always really fun. Um, I really like sp- like weapons that have built-in spell effects. Um, so you can do a sword that also has the ability to like cast burning hands off the tip of the sword. Like mm. um, just really cool uh, opportunities for for different things. And burning hands doesn't do a crazy amount of damage. It does like uh, 4d6 damage, which is a lot given a sword attack. But if you're having to give up your whole action and both of your attacks per round in order to cast it, then it's not a crazy amount of, of extra damage. And it, or if you can only cast it once per day. Um, I, I so one then time, it's situational. I one time gave someone an amulet that um, let them grow a mustache. Oh, yeah. I love any item that is goofy and fun and gives an opportunity for players to find a, fun, a use for it. Yeah. Um, like the mustache amulet was mostly just a fun gag that, that came up all the time. Um, but there is opportunity to maybe like not have a mustache on and walk into the store and and like pick a fight with somebody and then leave and put the mustache on and come back in and pretend you're a different person. Right, exactly. Or um, what was it? It was an umbrella. It gave an umbrella that rained when you opened it. It rained yeah. on the inside. So you would open the umbrella and it would just dump rain inside the umbrella wherever, wherever you had it open, which is ridiculous, right? Nobody needs this. But maybe you guys end up in the desert and suddenly you're, you're gods. Right. Now we have all the water we could ever need, or mm-hmm. we need to put out a campfire really quick. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I love those kinds of goofy and, and kind of situational objects. Um, were you the one? No, I think it was Wilder that had the um, uh, like item that became heavy when you called out a, a weight. I, I gave that. Oh, you gave, give, you gave, gave that to Wilder. Wilder. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was a great one as well, uh, where it like suddenly weighed a, t- a whole lot when you when you called out a specific command word and yeah which was funny because again. i i didn't have an idea of what that command word was going to be and um he said wait and i was like well that was it <laughs> and uh, I, I meant it as w-a-i-t which was pretty funny um i've used that one in groups where they use it very creatively to to throw it and then add the weight to it you so used then... it in, in a group yeah oh that makes me happy yeah yeah um, I, I really liked that item. I thought that one was really fun. Hmm. Um, I like items that are kind of like mundane items, right? Uh, an umbrella or a, uh, a pocket watch or a, a pair of shoes um, that largely are like general mundane things and I've given them some kind of magical ability. Um, uh, you would run a module that had that pair of shoes that teleported. Oh, yeah, the boots of teleportation that yeah. when you spoke the command word, the boots teleported. <laughs> But they left you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Teleport all on their own. Um, which is not particularly useful. Certainly not as powerful as like normal, you know, boots that teleport you somewhere. But if you need to distract a guard or something like that. Right. I've got these cool boots Cause that I Cause a commotion can... or kick someone's butt from yeah. across the room. <laughs> yeah. um, there's some opportunity there. I really like items that have this sort of opportunity for creative use. And maybe that's why I like the immovable rod so much. Oh, the immovable rod is amazing. Yeah, it's a great item. It's not 
it's not mechanically powerful in combat or anything like that most of the time. But every once in a while, you can find like a really creative use for it. And uh, I think that's a really fun item. Uh, the the movable rod is a um, uh, sort of stick that you can push a button on, and then all of a sudden it's held in place, uh, it, like in midair. And what's great about it is that it takes something like 8,000 pounds of force to, to move it. So you can put it in front of a door and effectively block the entire door. Or hold you can, open a monster's mouth. You can hold open a monster's mouth. You could... Um, uh, put it in midair and tie a rope to it and then use it to lower yourself down when you didn't have anything to tie a rope off to before. Could you use it like a ladder, like have one in each hand and be like clink, yeah. click, click, It used click, to be one of the click. goals of my um, 3.5 characters to get two immovable rods so that you could basically climb anywhere, yeah. which is, given the other opportunities to fly and climb in the game, is really not an efficient way to to uh, climb up stuff. I feel like you well, can get boots of, of spider climbing I mean, think about the upper body strength. Are you climbing in midair? What, yeah. what are your feet on? Yeah, and you're, just, you're really just using, you know, <laughs> your arms you're, to, you're climb, holding... to climb up. Yeah, that, yeah, that takes too much. It's tough. All right, so there's, there's some examples for some uh, items. Uh, ultimately, the, the last piece of advice that I'll give is sometimes your items do become too powerful. It's okay to fold down the Game Master screen and turn to your players and say, I think I may have given you an item that is a little too powerful. And then work with them. Remember, this is a story. So work with them to find a way to mitigate that. And you can say either I need to put some kind of limit on your item. Maybe it suddenly like can only be used once per day. Or... Um, we're gonna, your item's gonna break, but we're in a really epic way. We're gonna, we're gonna find a way to make this like a part of the story. Um, and I'll give you a chance to, to use it a couple of times to the really broken extent that it is, and then it's gonna break, it's gonna explode, something like that. You're too nice. And See, work with the player on it. I, w- I, I would probably just make it break. <laughs> you, would just, you would just have it well, break. Well, now without... suddenly it's a story plot where are they gonna try to repair it? Are they, did it break because of a, a bad guy threw it or broke it or you know what that is essentially what I, what i'm doing as well you're just doing it without telling the player well because I'm now friends. it's a surprise surprise <laughs> your weapon <laughs> broke oh i mean um no it's not a bad way to go it, this is about the trust that you have in your players so right. if you know your players can handle that you broke their very favorite magic item and they will deal with that and and roll forward and and not be upset and angry as a player at the table rather than you yeah. know as their character. You, then I think that's a great way to go. You one time in the Psychology in Seattle podcast limited a player's rage. Yeah, I, I like to um, if I know I can trust my players, I will take away abilities. I will break their their equipment um, or take away their equipment even for multiple sessions at a time. Uh, I took away Umberto's character's, Grolo's, his, his rage ability um, because it was part of the storyline. And then every time he kept trying to rage, he would... He couldn't. He couldn't. He, he didn't get anything. He would come up empty. Yeah. Um, and it was great because when I reintroduced his rage, all of a sudden it became so much more significant and what so did, much more powerful. What did you call it? It was like Heart's Fire or... Um, heroic Might, I think. Heroic Might. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So suddenly he wasn't drawing from anger. He was drawing from the passion of saving people, of being a hero. Yeah. Which is really good. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. Okay. Uh, Andy, I hope that helps. Thank you so much for submitting questions. If you listeners want to submit questions, you can go to our website um, and there is a submit a question little form at the bottom. It would be amazing. You could always do it on Facebook or Twitter too. 
Um, also, I have Instagram. Um, but, you know. And any of those. Any of those. But but the forum is the easiest way for us. Find us. Submit some questions. Uh, next session. Uh, at, at the next session on Twitter and, and Instagram uh, and Facebook. And... No, those ones are next session podcast. Oh, next session podcast. Yeah, backwards. I'm sorry, I messed it up with Twitter. It's yeah. my fault. Next session podcast um, on on Twitter and, and not on I, Twitter. It's it's the next session at Twitter. Oh man, this is really confusing. I know. Twitter <laughs> is the next session, and everything else is next session podcast. Oh, okay, um, and visit us on our website at nextsessionpodcast.com yeah and submit questions so we're not going all the way away we're going to take a break and then we'll come back and we'll ask a gm and then do a spell awesome that sounds great all right take a break And we're back. We are back. That was a great break. I stretched. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right. Um, so moving on, ask a GM. Uh, this person, Costralis, um, says, does the wizard class come with an extremely fashionable hat? I was speaking to my DM about this, and they said that it didn't. I really want a goofy but extremely fashionable hat, and I think it should be included with the robes or a set of common clothing. I'm just wondering what you think. Yes, I know. I can just buy a hat somewhere. This is Castralis. Castralis. Yeah, that's a typo there. Um, Let me uh, first say I would. I don't know why I would ever stop a player from having a fun hat or a. Or like an extremely fashionable whatever whatever it is that they want to wear. Yeah. Especially upon character creation. Like if you want to picture your character with a fun hat, that sounds great. I don't I don't know why I would say that. That's like that. most of creating your character. I mean, on paper, yes, you need to have stats and you need to have your weapons and all that jazz, but you know, I want to I want to describe what my character's robes look like and what her hair is or or, you know, what his armor is doing. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, there is one circumstance in which I would maybe stop a player from, from doing that, which is that they made that their goal for their character. Um, to say, like, I'm looking for a very fashionable hat. And then they said, well, I want to have it when I start my character. And I would say, like, well, that's your character's goal. So, no. Okay, but you could <laughs> say, come up with it. a different goal. Yeah, and come, you up with this, come up with a different goal, and then I'll give you this hat. But some, some players are very... Um, some dungeon masters are very strict by the rules. They want to play the game as it's written. And there are ways to talk about that. If that is the game that you want to have, you have to start with that. So, yes. Although, I think in the starting equipment, it says, like, common clothes um, that you get to have for your for your character. So even by, like, rules as written... Clothes, I assume, would include a hat and shoes and socks. Yes, um, but like, this is extremely fashionable. So uh, wouldn't, wouldn't people be turning their heads to an extremely fashionable hat? I suppose so. <laughs> um, it, it, is, it is an interesting boundary to set. There are some game masters that are uh, 
gonna want to hold much more strictly to the rules and all the advice that i just gave in the first part of this podcast um yes they were probably cringing they they were were like not the podcast for me thank you (laughs) (laughs) i doubt they made it this far nope um and my perspective is always that i want to lean on the story and i want to lean on collaborative storytelling and collaborative uh play process that we have in the game um but but there are game masters that want to play it more like a strategy game or more like a game with like really strict numbers and really strict rules on on how to accomplish those numbers. Rah. Yeah. And the the there are arguments to be made for that. That is a kind of game that you can play. Um, the important part is whether or not your players want to play that game. Um, so you as a game master might want to play that game. But if you haven't made that clear to your players that this is the kind of game you want to play... Um, and gotten their buy-in and gotten their acceptance that they're okay with that or that's the game they kind of game they want to play too then you're barreling towards a, a big misunderstanding oh my gosh it's just going to be frustrating for everybody because right. they're going to goof around and you're going to say no I, I don't want you to goof around and mm-hmm. they're going to say well you don't control my character blah 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 right um and this kind of conflict about a hat is maybe like a battle that is it seems like a, a dumb battle to pick as a as a game master um that all being said i totally agree um i think clothes are a big part of what makes makes up your character and i will go pretty far out of my way to allow characters to have some some customization into fitting the ideal or the uh concept that the player has for them i just recently i had a player that was making a sorcerer but wanted to have a shield uh and was saying oh i've got this great armor class because i have a shield and i had to go well sorcerers don't actually start with shield proficiency so you you can use the shield, but you'll have all these negatives for for using it. However, if that's the thing that you really want to be true about your character, yeah, I'll just give you shield proficiency. You now have it. Uh, your character spent a long time really focusing on on how to use a shield, and now you have this extra shield proficiency that sorcerers don't normally have. Yeah. Um, even even by stats, I don't know. It's an extra plus two to eight to your armor class. You're not going to be the highest armor class in the group by any means. You're still a sorcerer. You still have terrible hit points. <laughs> um, I don't think this is going to break the game in any significant way. And it gives you the opportunity to have a character that is how you picture your character in your head. Right. Um, you, you once, or I don't know if it was Bobby's campaign or not, but, but uh, someone had a, a, a construct that had a rotating barrel on their arm yeah. and they were riding notes down on their actual arm and it would rotate so they could like go back through and look like that kind of stuff fine fun why not um i think i think at that point you're really just adding to the fun of the game um i've had players that um want to you know dress dress as a, a noble and so all of their clothes are nobles clothes and they carry around like a whole closet worth of clothes that they can constantly change into new outfits um or players that started off with a hat that allows them to change their clothes they can you know at will change their clothes to whatever they want um all, all those are, are fun that's just flavor that's very animal crossing because you can have a wand with different outfits oh sure yeah there you go. very fun <laughs> yes um I would like to know what you think an extremely fashionable hat for a wizard would be. Um, you know, in Go Dog Go, the hat at the end of Go Dog Go. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! With yes. all the stuff hanging off of it. Yes. And... <laughs> With the spy, it's got spiders. It's got streamers. It's got. I don't. Yeah. I don't. Might have a pinata. I don't know if that's extremely fashionable for my taste, but I, <laughs> I could see a wizard 
Well, uh, it does say it does say goofy but extremely fashionable. Okay, you're, okay, you're right. You're right. Um, Either that or the classic wizard's hat. Oh, pointy like, with it's pointy with stars. It's blue and has yellow stars on it. Oh my gosh! Uh, it says wizard across <laughs> it. <laughs> I like that idea. Uh, yeah. So I guess Costrellas to to really answer your question is if your DM says you don't get this hat at the start, unfortunately you should. You probably don't want to push back on this too much, but you should make it your goal to find a haberdashery to make the most epic wizard hat. I I, I would argue you you should push back on your DM really? a little bit, not specifically on the hat thing, but you should turn around to your game master and you should say, um, "I want to clarify what kind of game we're playing. Is mm. this the kind of game where it's important that I not have this hat?" Is there a, a strong reason why it's important that I not have this? Like, are you leading this towards a story thing or something like that? Because, Kostras, you, you need to know what, what kind of game you're sitting down for so that you can adjust your expectations accordingly. Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to walk into the rest of your of your game and constantly be, be pushing buttons uh, and trying different things that you know that the game master already is going to know that they're not going to let you get a get away with and not, not going to let you succeed at and you're going to be frustrated that you can't and your game master is going to be cut frustrated that you keep trying um so not necessarily specifically the hat thing mm-hmm. but the overall feel of the game that you're coming in with sounds like could use some clarity that's true um, and- yeah if you make if you make finding this hat your goal and your dm is completely against it then right that's um, a problem uh, or if your you know DM has a very specific way that they need wizards to look in their world, and that doesn't fit with the way that your wizard looks, and that's going to come to some kind of problem in the in the game, that's also something that needs some clarification. Yeah. Um. So yeah, push back a little. Push Ugh. back a little. Also, disco ball hat. Yeah. Oh yeah. So anytime it glitters in the sunlight, it glitters everywhere, and it makes caves look really cool. Oh, I love it. And you have to spin. I would 100% be okay with it. Maybe it spins on its own. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> but only when sunlight hits it. Yeah. <laughs> solar, well, it's a it's a it's a um cantrip to spin it. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Spinning hat cantrip. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our final segment, which is use that spell. Use that spell. All right. So I picked one that I don't understand. I Well, I get the concept. <laughs> okay. But I don't understand how this is useful based on its description. So the, this is why I picked this spell. It's called Hallucinatory Terrain. Hallucinatory okay. Terrain comes from the Player's Handbook, uh, page 249. It's an illusion. It's a level four spell. Casting time, it takes 10 minutes to cast range of 300 feet it's got verbal semantic somatic somatic and materials a stone a twig and a bit of a green plant i like semantic components no, that's, I'm sorry. Uh, that's that's like where you argue about the rules the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that's the component to and the it, spell. It, it lasts 24 hours okay, okay. description you make a natural terrain in a 150-foot cube to rain, in range, look, sound, and smell like some other sort of natural terrain. Thus, open fields or roads can be made to resemble a swamp, hill, crevasse, or some other difficult or impassable terrain. A pond can be made to seem like a grassy meadow, a precipice like a gentle slope, or a rock-strewn gully like a wide and smooth road. Oh, I read those weird, but... You got it. (laughs) Manufactured structures, equipment, and creatures within the area aren't changed in appearance. 
And then it says, the tactical characteristics of the terrain are unchanged, so creatures entering the area are likely to see through the illusion. If the difference isn't obvious by touch, a creature carefully examining the illusion can attempt an intelligence investigation check against your spell save DC to disbelieve it. A creature who discerns the illusion for what it is sees it as a vague image superimposed on the terrain. So what's the point? Um, so I can think of several different sort of uses of this. Okay. Because the only thing I could think of was like Wiley Coyote painting a hole on a rock and a road Hilarious. And then, <laughs> you know, you're like, there's a tunnel here. Oh, <laughs> smack. That's all I could think of. Um, so really this is about the idea of having an illusion. So all the illusion spells in Dungeons and Dragons are pretty strictly defined as to what they can create and what they can't create. And so this really fills in the gap of other illusions. You notice that this doesn't have concentration, so you can set this up as a part of another illusion and then cast other illusions inside of it. So you could combine this with, you know, uh, an illusion of something coming out of a swamp or something like that. You needed to, to trick oh. a lot of people. Okay. Um, you could also um, combine this with illusions of, of yourself, uh, like change yourself into some other kind of kind of creature, kind of kind of situation. The real use for this is probably in um, hiding your tracks or hiding your your escape from someone else um, if you needed to do so, or hiding like the entrance of a of a um, uh, like hideout or something like that. Uh, so the tactile sensations uh, reveal the illusion unless you can match up the tactile sensations with with something else so you could have a wall that feels like wood uh like it has the texture of bark but it looks like stone and you could make it look like a a tree a a really big tree or something like that so okay so if i had a crime scene Mm -hmm. i have a crime scene i could set up an illusion over top of the crime scene so everything matched but i took away the footprints and the blood right and so long as the duration of the the illusion twenty four hours maintained, then no one would notice those those other. The things. footprints are missing because right. they wouldn't know to look for them, and it wouldn't change their tactile. Although, if there's a pool of blood, they might step in the pool of blood and not know it, and then go, "Wait a minute!" Right? Why does it feel wet here? Right. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so those are some uses. I'm coming around. Um, another use that I think you would really appreciate is you could use this to. Um, make a stage look like an environment for putting on a show. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. Okay, all right. <laughs> so if you, if you wanted to, to say like, um, or I have my tavern or my inn where you walk into the tavern and it looks like you're in the middle of a jungle. It's that uh, restaurant that, that um, the Rainforest Cafe. Oh, Rainforest or Cafe. <laughs> yeah, you just make a Rainforest Cafe. That's, this is the... The restaurant that we're now now in. Oh my gosh, it's the tiki room. It's the tiki room, uh, with birds singing tiki songs. Um, and the there's I think a lot of opportunity for that kind of thing where it's clear that this is an illusion. Everyone knows this is an illusion. Right, they're buying into the fact that it's an illusion. Right, but that's part of the entertainment that you're now putting on, ah. um, which I think could also be like a really fun opportunity and use of the spell. Um, what's what's interesting, and this is actually something that's ignored a lot of the times, or players don't necessarily notice, um, is the casting time of 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, so it's not a spell you could ever use in combat. You know, if somebody is is um, trying to, to 
chase you around a corner or whatever. You can't like suddenly make the the wall appear and and now they're blocked by it because it takes ten minutes to cast this thing. Right, but if you are if you are thrown in jail, you could uh, take the time to cast a big illusion that makes it look like. Um, Oh, you escaped. You could make it look like there are no bars to the jail. Yeah. Um, and then when somebody like tries to charge forward to arrest you, they like s- slam into the bars and yeah. knock themselves unconscious. And then you could grab the keys. Right. Yeah. Which would be like a really hilarious use. Totally. Uh, it, it looks like you sawed through the bars or whatever in like a big, <laughs> a big open circle. <laughs> yeah, that's a great use of that. Um, I think you could totally do some some really creative stuff with this spell. But you you definitely have to use it creatively. The the kind of frustrating part about it is you know it uses up a spell slot. It's a level four spell. Um, this is where I really wish there was a, a a more reliable way. I mean maybe this could be. I don't know if it's a ritual spell. Maybe you could cast it as a ritual. Um, but I really wish there was a more reliable way to make some of the spells that are less uh, immediately useful and much more situational. Um, to be more accessible to spellcasters, where you could say, look, here's here's a list of spells. These are really only useful in very specific situations, but you now have them available to you in case you need to. Right. Uh, because making the, the choice to sacrifice some other much more much more potentially useful. Right. Why would I ever give a magic missile when? Right. Um, when when like this is or or another great level four spell. Uh, for this hallucinatory terrain spell when, like, very clearly this is not going to come up that often. And when it does come up, it'll need to be the very specific situation where, like, I have a full 10 minutes to cast this and, yeah. and, and it's going to work. And I need it to the... last for a long time right. and it's going to help us get away and they're going to think we went that way, but we went this way. Right. Um, and it seems as so... a DM, you'd be like, well, they're going to catch up to you because that's we're gonna have a battle because that's fun <laughs> that's, that's what we're leading towards um yeah it, it's tough for for spells like this where i think there's a lot of creativity in this spell but i also can't imagine any of my players ever really taking the spell over the other choices they could make for a level four spell um now i do i do really appreciate when somebody does choose spells like this and and provide an opportunity to, well, to really use how it. awesome is it when you have the spell ready and there's the perfect moment and you go wait a minute i've got the perfect thing i've been holding this. on to this spell <laughs> yeah. yes um i've made spellcaster characters that with that exact thing like they take a spell and they're like oh man but when the situation comes up i'm gonna have the perfect spell for it uh create and destroy water sometimes winds up in that place Oh, yeah. It's like, how often do I really need to create water? But now I'm in the middle of the desert, and now I, like, really need to create some water. And I'm like, yes, I've got the perfect spell for this. Um, I just appreciate when, when that situation can come up. So there's hallucinatory terrain. Hallucinatory terrain. All right. I, I came around to it. I like it. But I agree that... If it is... Maybe you need a wand of hallucinatory There terrain. you go. Like, yeah. if there's a way to make it not use a spell slot, it would be much better. Yeah. And not, not take <gasps> up one of your Hallucinatory terrain goggles. <laughs> Everyone... It just, it just wait, makes... wait, wait. Everyone has to strap on these goggles before they walk through this area. <laughs> it just makes, it makes the whole terrain and look like And it's only like the whatever. one... You have to switch goggles. Like, this is the one for this gully, but then, yeah. you know, there's the one for the jungle-themed bar, and then there's the one for... Yeah. This is actually great. Now I want to make a tavern in in the game where you like can pick up different goggles and they 
they yeah. make the tavern look like a different theme. You know, I thought it was a joke, but there's actually raves out there somewhere in the world where it's a c- completely quiet and everyone puts on headphones. Oh, yeah, silent raves. I thought it was a joke yeah. on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I thought yeah. that was totally made up. Um, but no, it's real. And you, uh, I guess your headphones glow a, a particular color based on what music you're listening to. Because you could have different tracks you can pick. Oh, sure. So if you're of listening course. to the blue song, then you could come up to a guy and be like, oh, you're listening to blue too. Let's let's dance to the same song. Yeah. But if they're listening to green, you're like, oh, well, either I'm going to switch to green and be like, hmm, I don't like that music guy. I'm going to go find a blue guy. Or <laughs> or you're dancing to different rhythms, and that's weird too. Yeah. But it's amazing because then you can just take off your headphones to order a drink or, or talk to your friend. Like instead of mouthing i'm gonna go get i'm gonna go to the bathroom you can just take off your headphones and go hey i'm gonna go to the bathroom oh cool so i like the idea that you have these goggles and they're different kinds of goggles and they even make the servers wear different clothes and and like speak in different accents and stuff and so you can put on your pirate goggles and then all of a sudden the server is like yar what can i get me getting for you and you take the goggles off and they're like so you want the soup or the salad today is that yeah you'd have to know which goggles they pick (laughs) can you imagine if you the the server comes up to a group of kids and they put on their like like chuck e cheese goggles it's like okay here we go hi everybody Well, I was thinking that the server just sounds different when you put on the goggles oh, rather, than, the rather than the server having to like read whatever kind of goggles you have. And I don't think the server them. is included in the in the hallucination. No, I guess they're not. No, they'd have they're... to like act it out. They'd have to be like, oh man, can you go get table five? They're pirate and I just can't. I, I just shot can't. my I voice on pirate voice. <laughs> now I want to role play out the servers. <laughs> <laughs> whole new, whole I don't want to be the adventurers. I want to be, I be a servers. worker in this bar. Yeah. What would this bar's name be? It would be the Dreamatorium. Dreamatorium. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, choose your own adventure. Yeah. The choose choose your own tavern. Tavern. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, we, and thank you so much to. Um, uh, the people who submitted the, yeah, the questions. Andy, thank, thank you so you, much, Andy. Andy. Really appreciate it. Um, and uh, if you have questions that you would love to submit or suggestions for what spell we should talk about or any of those things, you can hit us up on nextsessionpodcast.com to submit a question or on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Session. Um, I, I, and I guess that's that's it for our episode today. Yeah, that's so, it. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. And tune in next time and we'll help you prep for your next session. All right.